same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West! Welcome to the main event. That clip came from the Lord of the Rings, where Aragorn is telling his troops, men of the West, it's time to stand and fight. The question is, are there any real men left in the West? Certainly there's none in the NFL. That's just my opinion. Hello, everyone. I'm Scott McAfee. I'm the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands, and I'm filling in Fred Hoffman this week. Ed is on vacation. He'll be gone for the next two weeks. So you get to enjoy two weeks with yours truly. I'm really excited to be here. And uh, I do want to make my normal disclaimer. That is, I am not a professional radio talk show host. I just sound like one. Actually, the fact of the matter is, I'm just a regular person just like you. But I'm very politically incorrect. And I have a big mouth. And I'm not afraid to use it. Which makes me, of course, the perfect fill-in host for Ed. But before we get down to business, I do need to, of course, point out the main sponsor of the show, the founder of the feast, if you will, and that is Wholesale Capital Corporation, your direct mortgage lender. WCC is based in Southern California with offices all over the area. So if you're interested in getting involved with any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, I know I did, and you need financing, call Ed at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Day or night, 855-640-2020. And if you want to get in touch with Ed and you don't want to talk on your phone, you can find him at wccloans.com where he has all kinds of mortgage information just for you. If you want to apply for a loan right away, go to the Loan Center tab and click on the Apply Now button. Or if you'd like to email him first, click on the contact page, fill out the form, and it goes directly to Ed and his team. If there's any part of the main event that you want repeated, go to edhoffman.net and click on the podcast page to listen to it on demand. You can also get the main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. So be sure to connect with the show on social media. You can do that by following it on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where he tweets about current events all week long. And you can also like the show on Facebook. That's at facebook.com slash the main event Ed Hoffman. All right. So for those of you who aren't regular listeners to the show, it's interesting because it used to be a show that focused mainly upon real estate. And then it's sort of slowly but surely morphed into political issues. So what we do is we kind of take the past political, social, whatever else is going on in the country. And then we kind of pick the highlights and then we try and make sense out of it through our own through our own viewpoint. Obviously, the big story of the week, of course, was the big NFL. I call it the kneel down. So as you know, the NFL has come under fire from conservatives for siding with their unpatriotic players who kneeled during the national anthem. The president also came under fire for commenting on this week. I've got a little clip from Trump. We'll kind of open with that. 
was uh, ashamed of what was taking place because to me that was a very important moment. I don't think you can disrespect our country, our flag, our national anthem. I was at Walter Reed Hospital recently and I saw so many great young people and they're missing legs and they're missing arms and they've been so badly injured. And they were fighting for our country. They were fighting for our flag. They were fighting for our national anthem. And for people to disrespect that by kneeling during the playing of our national anthem, I think is disgraceful. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. And a lot of people have criticized Trump for politicizing this whole thing. Who, who made this thing political in the first place? As I recall, it was Colin Kaepernick, who was the first to actually take a knee. Uh, look, let me put it this way. Football is supposed to be a diversion. It's it's where you can go. And, and since we're so obsessed right now, we're so divided. There's so much political stuff going on constantly. People are looking for maybe a place where they can go and kind of get away from all that. But the problem is that that it's not that case. And now football's gone political. Uh, and I got to tell you one thing. I, I am not a football fan. So maybe to a certain extent, I'm not even qualified to be talking about this. But it's it's I least appreciate the fact that it's it's a place where people can come together. People of different political persuasions, people from all walks in life can enjoy a game, root for your team, go home, ha you know, have fun and, and, and relax and just chill uh, for a moment. Uh, I know that apparently last Thursday night's game, the Packers and the Bears played. I didn't watch the game. My understanding was they didn't kneel, but they did encourage fans to join together in solidarity. And, and I'm thinking solidarity for what? what? What are what are they in solidarity for? Now, a lot of, not a lot of these players have actually come out and said, why are they kneeling? What What is this solidarity call for? Well, let me put it this way. I can at least give them maybe a small education, at least from my own vantage point. Why do we stand? Why do we stand for the flag? Why do we stand? And the first thing for me is it's because I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be here. And especially when you look at other places throughout the world, I've done a little bit of traveling in different parts of the world um, and gone to some great places, but there's nothing like the United States of America. L look at some videos on North Korea, whatever few videos can get out about that place. You should all take a moment in your life as you're driving, you're listening to this, be thankful you don't live in North Korea. This is the greatest, freest country in the history of the world. And I know I think it was Prager that said, you know, you can't really be happy unless you're grateful. Well, I, for one, am very grateful to be here. And I'll tell you, you know what, it's, it's, it's the little things that make me grateful to be here. Even this morning, I'm walking my dog and there's people, you know, out in their yards and they say, hey, how you doing? Or somebody goes by in their car and they wave. And I'm not saying people aren't friendly in other parts of the country, but there just is a certain goodness about this country that I don't see in other parts of the world that I've gone to. And, and it is interesting. I know one guy that actually served in Iraq and he said one of the things that he really appreciated about the United States was the fact that we have rest stops off the freeway. And I know that sounds like a dumb little thing, but somebody thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we just had like a rest stop off the side of a freeway? So if somebody's really tired and they need to just chill for a moment or get out and stretch, we got a nice little place for him to go and come over and do that. And he says that's something he didn't see in other parts of the world. Um, not to mention the most obvious thing. The most obvious thing is we are showing, we're just taking a minute out of our day, just a moment to reflect on not only the great country we live in, but all of the many thousands and thousands of people that have fought and died for this country. So that's kind of what it's all about for me. So then that begs the question, why are they kneeling? And 
the first answer I've got is, I don't know. I, I don't know why they're kneeling. Is it because they live in a racist country? Is it because cops are racist and they shoot innocent unarmed black people when there's really not a whole lot of data to back that up? I think for me also, I, I find it hard to take these guys seriously when I'm seeing this row of players and every one of them is a multi-millionaire. The starting, I think it's like a couple million to even start. And how do, how do I take you seriously when you have benefited from all of the freedoms to, to be and become everything you want to be? And it's true that maybe some of these guys came from nothing. Uh, or maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. But the fact that you're, you're here and you are where you are, I would hope that you would be a little bit grateful um, but, and, and, but at the same time, you know what? I will say this, that the, the players have a right to kneel, but, but here's the catch. The fans have a right to respond and respond. They're going to do, uh, I will tell you that 64% of people who were surveyed say the players should stand for the national anthem. That's two thirds of the American people that think they're wrong. I'm, I'm telling you one thing. This thing is working right into Trump hand, Trump's hands. It's making the left look really, really bad. Um, let's play a few clips, though, of what the mainstream media had to say about Trump's comments. Came proverbially as close as you could possibly come to shouting in a rally the N-word. You tell me which of those children's mothers are a son of a bee. That is racism. When the president refers to Colin Kaepernick in Alabama as a son of the B-word, it is racial code for the N-word. You don't have to agree with them, but that's not the, really the point here. No American gets to tell another American how to express their love for this country. Well, he's absolutely right on that one. No one has the right to do that. But as I said a moment ago, they have the right to respond. One other very, very eloquent person uh, who spoke out on this is, of course, my own favorite, Nancy Pelosi, who, by the way, half the time doesn't even know who's president. A lot of times when she's speaking, she said this numerous times, she thinks that George Bush is still the president. But here's what Nancy Pelosi had to say in five seconds or less. Uh, Colin Kaepernick doing what he did. Very eloquent, Nancy. Thank you for that. That's kind of short but funny. Look, here's my predictions about where this is all going. Colin Kaepernick, uh, who, by the way, made $39 million uh, while he played in the NFL, will never work in the NFL again. That guy will be lucky to get a job playing flag football by the time this thing is all said and done. And let me explain why. Nobody wants to hire an employee who's a liability. Ed and I have employed many people over the course of our careers. And whenever you have somebody that is like costing you money because they have a crappy attitude, they don't know how to work with people, Colin Kaepernick's a liability. And anybody, any sponsors, any fans of a team where he's on, it, it's going to cost them money. Second reason is his attitude sucks. Uh, and, and third reason is apparently he's not that good. Again, I don't follow football, so I'm not claiming to be an expert on this, but if he's really outstanding, maybe he'd already have a job. I don't know. My other prediction is that the NFL is going to lose. This is Scott's prediction. There's nothing scientific about it. The NFL is going to lose about 25% of their revenue in the next year. We'll see if I'm right. We'll see if I'm right. What I'm saying is that what they have done is, is something that they will never recover from. I believe that the majority of NFL fans out there do lean politically right. Maybe that's not true of basketball. It's definitely true of NASCAR. But I would think that the majority of NFL fans tend to be right-wingers. They don't like 
a lot hearing a lot of this garbage and a lot of this by the way came not only from the players but it's the announcers again i don't watch it but what i hear from nfl fans is the constant barrage from announcers over and over again about trump and politics bringing it into an event where people don't want to hear this stuff they don't want to hear this stuff um we've already seen this happen by the way there's an eight percent drop in ratings since 2016 they're experiencing a 10 percent drop in revenue already uh, there's estimates that they're going to be a $200 million loss in earnings from the networks that cover uh, these events. And actually, this is kind of interesting, too. Apparently, DirecTV has now offered their subscribers a cancellation and refund for these NFL Sunday packages that I guess they can buy. It's like $280. Bucks. Uh, the other interesting thing, so this is already happening. It's already happening. The... The, the funny thing, too, is the fans that I know, these are people that are diehard NFL fans. The ones that I know, I know one guy I know is a good friend of mine. He's a Cowboys fan. He said, you know what? If they kneel, I'm done. If they kneel, I'm done. And then, of course, I get the report saying that the Cowboys kneeled. So I sent him a text. Well, it looks like you're done. And he texts me back. No, no, no. They they kneeled, but then they stood for the anthem. So I think that this is, comes from the coach that I said, I think he said he would bench any player who kneeled. So here's how they got around. They kneeled to make the leftists happy, but then they stood for the national anthem. The problem when you do that, I don't think you make anybody happy when you do that. So now he's kind of a grudging fan, but it was interesting. He showed me a video that's apparently gone viral. It's a guy who had all this sports memorabilia. This is stuff that he's collected over the years, he's a diehard NFL fan. And I don't even remember the team, but the video is of this guy describing in detail how he's not going to be, he's not going to be watching this anymore. So he literally takes all his memorabilia, which looking at all this stuff, probably maybe it's a thousand bucks worth of stuff. He had jackets, he had hats, he had jerseys. He literally throws this stuff into a fire pit and burns it right on the air. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting what the reaction is going to be coming from the fans. Uh, it's nothing good. Um, I think this was a dumb thing on their part, and it's something that, again, I don't think they're going to recover from. Moving along to the next topic, which is the tax plan. That was a big thing that came out uh, over the last couple of days. Um, we've got a little clip that we'll play from Trump regarding his take on what, what they're proposing for the new tax plan. We're going to cut taxes for the middle class, make the tax code simpler and more fair for everyday Americans, and we are going to bring back the jobs and wealth that have left our country, and most people thought left our country for good. We want tax reform that is pro-growth, pro-jobs, pro-worker, pro-family, and yes, tax reform that is pro-American. Look, my comment on this is this, this, if this tax plan goes through and if it is reasonably successful, you can bank on the fact that Trump will get reelected in 2020 because this election is not about Russia. It's not about the NFL. It's about jobs in the economy. It's about national security and it's about immigration. And if there is a major uptick in the economy, which many economists predict there will be, if this plan in fact goes through, I think you're going to see some a major, major uh, positive numbers for Trump. Just to give you a quick few details on this with this tax plan, and taxes are way too complicated, by the way, way too complicated. Uh, the details are the president has promised that the majority of families would be allowed to file their taxes on a single piece of paper. We'll see if that's true. I mean, if that's true, there's going to be a lot of accountants looking for a job, I think. Uh, Trump also promoted the idea of cutting taxes for working class families, allowing the first $12,000 of earned income to remain tax free and $24,000 for, for married couples. He promoted three different tax brackets. 
of 12%, 25%, and 35% for, for different income practice. It's like seven now. So one of my rules in life, one of my rules in business is keep it simple, stupid. The simpler you can make something, the better. And that was one of my problems with Obamacare. It was like 3,000 pages of incomprehensible gibberish. I remember watching a, a very accomplished attorney, Greta Van Susteren, who tried to read Obamacare, and she said, you know, I, I tried to understand it, and I can't even, I can't even understand this crap. The tax code's the same thing. It's way too complicated. When I have to hire a professional just to make sense of this mess, there's something wrong. The president also promoted pro-family policies like the expansion of the child tax credit and eliminating the marriage penalties. He also promoted a $500 tax credit for dependent adults or the elderly. His framework also included a plan to eliminate the alternative minimum tax and the end of the death tax permanently. And by the way, it's always interesting how people call different things different. For example, the Republicans call it the death tax. The Democrats call it the inheritance tax. Because I guess if you call it the death tax, that already sounds negative. If you call it the inheritance tax, that assumes there's some big inheritance and the government should take a chunk of that. For me, this is probably the stupidest thing in the tax code. The fact that you can have somebody accumulate wealth, a wealth they've already paid taxes on, right? They've already paid taxes on that money. They set it aside. They die and their inheritance get to take whatever that 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 ammonia is so that has to be taxed so it's like double taxation you're taxing again the money the people already paid tax on the biggest and obviously that that is obviously unfair and i don't care whether you're you're a multimillionaire, a billionaire whatever it's 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 inherently unfair i don't know whoever passed that law by the way that's something i can have brooke research who passed that law who who actually was the one that put that law into effect in the first place it's it's inherently wrong and, and the biggest example of when this comes to be devastating for people is when you have instances of a farm for example let's say it's a farm that's worth 10 million dollars now the people may not have much cash in the bank but they have a farm they die they're their, their uh, children inherit the farm. So they are taxed on the worth of the farm, which is like $10 million. But let's say the problem is they don't have the tax to pay for the farm. They, they don't have that tax to pay. So they literally, in some cases, have to file for bankruptcy or they have to sell the farm to pay for the tax. It puts people like that in a terrible, terrible situation. So that's probably one of the most significant things of this new tax plan. In addition, Trump said his plan aims to cap the tax rate for millions of small businesses and farms at 25%. So what that means for somebody like myself, I'm a small business owner. Uh, we have an S corporation. I think Ed is probably an S corp as well. I don't know. We've never actually talked about it. My current tax rate on profits, whatever profits that I make as a business is about 31%. That's going to go to 25%. Hey, look, 6%. I'll take it. Trust me, myself, Ed, and people like us that help power the economy will do something productive with that money because that just means more money in our pockets, money that we can invest, money that we can hire people and do something productive with. And that's also part of, I think, the whole point of cutting taxes. How does cutting taxes stimulate the economy? Because when you think about it, it's almost counterintuitive. Well, wait a minute, there's less revenue coming into the federal government. How does Get, how does cutting the amount of revenue coming to the federal government going to make the economy stronger? And, and it's a difficult question to answer, but I think in general that the theory uh, of Reaganomics, the theory is that if more people keep more of their money, they will use it productively, hire people. That in turn, more people hired means more people paying taxes, right? That's kind of the theory is, as clear as I can understand it. The new tax plan would also, encourage, would also encourage more companies to bring jobs back to the United States. By the way, the way they're talking about doing this is for money that generate income outside of the United States and pay taxes 
to other companies, to other countries rather, from that income. Now they can bring that money back here into the States and not be double taxed on it. So the idea, and we're talking about two and a half trillion dollars, by the way, the theory is that if that two and a half trillion dollars comes back to the United States, that's money that's gonna get used here as opposed to money that's sitting offshore. So that's about as, as simple as I, a non-accountant, can make the uh, the issue of the new tax bill. I hope it goes through. Hopefully we don't get the same three stooges, John McCain, uh, Susan, was it Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, the same idiots that keep turning down everything else that Trump's trying to get accomplished. Next topic, and this is one that's near and dear to my heart. This is uh, Jess Sessions has announced that he is looking at getting involved in the free speech issues that are plaguing our college campuses right now. Uh, let's play a clip from Jess Sessions in terms of, he was on actually with Tucker Carlson recently, and he's talking about the war on free speech that's going on. And uh, what does uh, Mr. Sessions have to say? Clip one. These kind of things really threaten uh, the entire educational system, in my view, the integrity of it. We have a heritage of free speech. It's in our Constitution. It's deeply embedded in our whole approach to life, and uh, we need to push back. And so we're going to push back. Some of these actions can be a violation of civil rights. You have First Amendment rights in this country to speak, and sometimes those rights can be impacted. The Department of Justice will take, do, take what steps we can to make sure that uh, these uh, zones, uh, these colleges don't create limiting zones for uh, free speech. Okay, so the big question is, and this is something that is so badly needed, and I'm going to talk about this uh, the second hour. I'm actually going to have someone who's been at the, at the front of the war on free speech on college campuses. So you definitely got to stay tuned for that. But the question is, what is Jeff Sessions' plans to do about it? So here's what he Intervene and possibly even file lawsuits. But we'll be intervening this week, filing a statement of interest, which the United States government uh, is entitled to do, in a case involving a constriction of free speech uh, that we believe is important. And we'll be filing a brief to the court explaining why we think this is an important uh, national right. Uh, it's really, really important. And before we go into the next segment where we discuss this issue further, I want to point out an, an area where or a time when I was a and I don't want to use the word victim because that's what the left uses. And I never want to play the victim card. So I'm just that's just not me. That's just not me. But I, I would just say I was the recipient. Let's call it the recipient of an attack on free speech. Back in July, I had the honor of being the MC for an event. It was called the Summer of Conservatism. Our keynote speaker was Larry Elder. So I had the opportunity to get up there and, and MC for him. In addition to a panel of other young conservative speakers, primarily millennial conservative speakers. So we have this and I mentioned this on Ed's show before, but I think it's very relevant to bring this up again. What happened was we had this venue all set up for our for our event. We'd had it for months. They had a deposit on it. We're all good to go. And then like literally a couple weeks before we were scheduled to hold the event, the venue canceled on us. They, they yanked the rug out from underneath us. And we got this letter and I'm going to read. It's very, it's like one paragraph. I want to read this to you now. This was the letter coming from the, the venue. This was from Esports Arena, which was in Santa Ana. And, and it starts by saying, hello, Victor. 
And Victor, by the way, was the young man who was actually putting this event together. He said, unfortunately, we're going to have to release your venue and return your deposit. I am deeply sorry, but we cannot risk all of the additional liability to the venue and our personnel. After finding out about the event, numerous highly placed people in the Santa Ana and game developer community started leaving negative reviews and comments all over social media profiles. These people began rallying others to protest and boycott our establishment, going as far to begin organizing fights. As a startup, this is a risk we are not willing to take. After multiple attempts to affirm esports arena neutrality in politics on our part, we have found that the attacks have just increased. They have made personal threats against the owners of esports arena and have located their homes and social media profiles. Victor, again, I'm deeply saddened by having to release your event. This is what I just experienced firsthand. And it's interesting, too, because it was a little write-up on the OC Weekly talking about our event and how it was how it was shut down with there were a bunch of racist supremacists. It lists my name on there, too. I'm listed as a racist supremacist. Yes, we have Larry Elders, the keynote speaker for a bunch of white supremacists trying to hold an event. What a joke. Stay with me. I got a lot more. We'll be right back after news, traffic, and weather. You won't want to miss it. Welcome back to the main event. I'm Scott McAfee. I'm the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialto and Redlands, and I'm filling in Fred Hoffman this week. Ed is on vacation for the next couple of weeks, so he's hired yours truly to be here in his place. And I do want to say one thing. I am honored to be your host for today's show, and I want to be very clear about one thing. I have done nothing to deserve this honor. I feel like Obama when he picked up that Nobel Peace Prize. I feel like Chelsea Clinton when she got that Lifetime Achievement Award. None of us have really done anything to deserve it. Anyways, welcome back. And by the way, if you do need a bicycle for yourself or a loved one, feel free to come by our shop. We have one location in Redlands, one in Rialto. You can call me at 909-875-7310. That's 909-875-7310. One more time, 909-875-7310 for a bicycle for yourself or a loved one. So where we left off, we had some comments from... AG Jeff Sessions regarding the free speech issues that have come to our awareness. Uh, and it's getting really hard. I, I mentioned, I just shared with you over the last segment, my experience of trying to have just a talking venue, just for some people to come in and speak and how it was very, very difficult to do that. We ended up having the event, by the way, if I didn't say that we did have the event, but we had to find another venue. Like at the last minute, it was very difficult. Uh, the left came close to shutting us down. But, but this is a very hot topic right now, and, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring in someone who's literally been on the front line, and I mean on the front line of this battle. So with me on the air is, is Troy Warden. Troy is the president of the Berkeley College Republican Club, um, and he's definitely got a lot to say about this, because they, they just had an event, by the way, last weekend, or, or attempted to have an event. It was called the Free Speech Week. Um, so I wanted Troy to come on and give us some comments. Troy, welcome to the main event. Thank you for having me on. Hey, no problem, man. So, so first of all, you are you are the president of the Berkeley College Republican Club, correct? That's true. I mean, to me, that seems like a very difficult job to have. I mean, it's kind of like being the president of the Rotary Club in North Korea. I mean, isn't that kind of hard? Well, it's hard in the sense if uh, you want to be the face of things, people definitely know who you are. 
uh, especially the so-called anti-fascists, which are really the alt-left, they will attempt to target you because you make media appearances, because you are valuable or in some way speak for the conservative movement in their territory, so to speak. But it's not difficult in the sense that you get so much support from people outside of Berkeley, outside of the Bay Area, outside of California. And also, if you're able to find a really good group of people to work with you and delegate out different tasks, it's really not that difficult if you have a great team working with you and a lot of support behind you. So I think it's really a question of not just looking to your immediate surroundings to find support, because Berkeley will not offer that, not the administration, not the police, not your peers, but looking far beyond that. Um, I think I have made more connections uh, across the state and nationwide through my what I've been doing here at Berkeley. Um, than I would otherwise make if I just uh, kept to myself here. Well, good for you. I think you have a lot of guts. And I, But I want to say one thing. You said target, and we'll talk about the administration. We'll talk about the cops in just a second. When you say you're targeted, what does that mean to somebody like the rest of us who don't know what the hell's going on over there? Well, for instance, uh, just a few days ago, we were having dinner with uh, a few friends, and right on the Berkeley Twitter uh, feed, the Berkeley Antifa Twitter feed, they had posted our names and where we were eating. I'm surprised they didn't even place our ta table number online. Uh, and you saw this sort of thing happen in Hamburg in, in Germany during the G20 protests recently. You had left-leaning journalists tweeting the position of independent journalists, some who were conservative, uh, out publicly. And then you would see the Antifa pick up that location and uh, stalk them or attack them accordingly. So. Uh, things get really dangerous here. They're going to try and release your public information, uh, release your information publicly. Uh, they'll put up posters with your face around it. Uh, they might take legal action against you, uh, make false accusations against you. These people will stop at nothing to really just intimidate you. And that's why it's important, as you said earlier when we were speaking, that you can't give these people an inch. You can't back down. You have to show that you have a backbone because the minute they smell fear, the minute they see blood in the water, uh, that just encourages them all the more. So fair to say this is something you could deal with even on a daily basis. Is that is that true? Well, I'm, I'm completely used to uh, having to defend myself. I grew up in the Bay Area. I was used to arguing with my high school teachers all the time. So coming to Berkeley was just a natural progression of uh, the route I had already uh, plotted for myself. So I think that if you know how to defend yourself, if you know how to not show fear and to not give in, uh, you earn the respect of your enemies, but you also earn the respect of your supporters. People like other people who win, and I think that's why a lot of people supported Donald Trump. So not backing down in this age of political division is key to success. Right, well, and of course that brings me to another question that I have to give you a little, I have to just burning question in my head. Why are you as a conservative there? What made you, why, why of all places would you go to Berkeley? Well, uh, there's issues of convenience. Okay. Uh, Berkeley's only 30 minutes away from my house. Uh, Berkeley is a world-class uh, institution in terms of academics, definitely not politics. Uh, and also, I think it would be unfair and untrue to myself to go to a place where I wouldn't be challenged. I'm not just looking for, as an intellectual, uh, a place where all my views are going to be coddled and accepted. I'm looking for a real challenge. A blade is sharpened because it uh, rubs contrary to something else. So the only way you're going to really grow as a person, uh, especially intellectually, is through challenge, uh, is through struggle. So coming to Berkeley as a conservative is probably the best thing you can do for yourself. That's what I tell conservative students all the time. You didn't make a mistake coming here. You actually did yourself a favor. So I could not encourage conservative students more than to apply to Berkeley. We need you here. Please come here. You need to 
challenge your peers. You need to see, make them see that there are different points of views. So many people here go without ever meeting a conservative or having a thoughtful discussion with them. If you're there, they have to face you. And if they have a conversation with you, if they can put a face to these ideas that are being expressed on the conservative side, they're much less likely to go around thinking they can bash your head in. Really, being in Berkeley, you're putting a human face on the conservative movement, and that's what more people need to do. Wow, I'm literally, I'm like getting chills as we're talking because that's one of my my life, if you want to call it rules or whatever. So many people are moving out of California. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm done with this. I hate the politics. I hate the fact that I live in in this left leaning state. And I, you know, my response to them is that no, no, no. I want to be behind enemy lines. I want to be here. I, I really don't want to live in Texas, and I really don't want to live in Texas. Uh, this is a beautiful state. I love living here. I've grown up in this state, but I don't want to leave. I'd rather be here and be part of the fight than to just go around and sit around with a bunch of like-minded people. So I totally relate to and and applaud you uh, for what you're doing. I think that's very impressive. Let's talk about the event. Give, give us, for those of you who, there's a lot of people didn't know about this event, but it's it's Free Speech Week at Berkeley. What was kind of the event supposed to be all about? Well, the event was put on by Milo Yiannopoulos uh, and his company. They wanted to come to Berkeley and bring a whole slew of conservative speakers, and they basically wanted to show the administration and the world that conservatives could speak at the birthplace of the free speech movement, and also that they could hear other people's ideas and engage in a thoughtful discussion with them. At no point did Milo Yiannopoulos ever say he did not want to engage with people on campus. He wanted to. He wanted to really challenge them and be challenged. Um, and so he organized uh, a group of speakers that he wanted to come, that he would hope would come, including Steve Bannon, Ann Coulter, David Horowitz, Jordan Peterson, Christina Hoff Summers, etc. Uh, but unfortunately, the administration of the university, uh, they feared his arrival so much that they took certain steps to ensure that he could not have venues to host those speakers. Therefore, the speakers, not wanting to risk their personal safety, didn't want to come. And even when Milo did come, he could only speak for a few minutes because people started jumping barricades the minute he showed up. Okay, let's... So, I was going to say, sure. but let back up a little bit, but the, the, his event was hosted by a group on campus. I mean, I guess, don't they have to be hosted or invited by somebody? Well, the to have access to the public spaces on campus, you simply have to be of the public. So basically anyone has access to, uh, say, Sproul Plaza, which is in the, in the center of campus. But uh, because the uh, student group, which uh, initially backed Miley Yiannopoulos, pulled out at the last minute, he was unable to get recording equipment placed on the campus. Anti-fascist organizations attempted to bring their own uh, speakers and sound systems onto Sproul Plaza, but they were actually removed by police. So in one sense, Milo's speech was stifled because of certain regulations surrounding the use of uh, amplified sound. Okay, so, but let's back up there. You guys already had, this event had been planned for months, is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay, it was it was planned for months, and and but there was a group on campus. It was one that I guess you helped start, but it, you're not not a part of it. What's the name of that group? It's Berkeley called Patriots? the Berkeley Patriot. Yes, got it. Okay, and that 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 group is the most recent uh, instantiation of uh, a, a former conservative publication that had been going on on campus for years called the California Patriot. Okay, so they were basically the ones that were, if you, if you want to call it the host group. I mean, is that fair? Am I accurate in that? Absolutely. They are the ones through which uh, Miley Yiannopoulos 
attempted to book venues. You have to have a student group sponsoring you or hosting you in order to uh, actually rent out venues. Okay, so that's what I was kind of getting at. In other words, you can't, like, I can't just say, you know what, Scott's going to go have, uh, he's going to go ha- run mouth on Berkeley. I can't just show up and start doing that. I mean, you, you have to have a group that is kind of your host group, if you will, That right? Yes. Okay. All right. So this event had been planned for months. I know there was a lot of difficulties, like like everything it seemed like the Berkeley administration could do to make this thing not happen, they did throughout the course of planning it. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say. Uh, for instance, they wanted Milo's group to sign contracts that were very unfavorable. They would essentially demand that Milo pay the entire cost for the events, even if the events were shut down. Now, I'll tell you that on February 1st, when my group, the Berkeley College Republicans, hosted Milo Yiannopoulos on February 1st, uh, we were not required to pay uh, anything because the event had been shut down. And I think that's only fair. So there's good reason for the Berkeley Patriot to have hesitated uh, in signing those contracts and handing over the money, because how can they expect the university to act in good faith and allow their events to go through uh, when in the past we've seen that they haven't done that? Right. And that, and that brings me to another issue. I mean, so the, the point is that the event was scheduled, was all set to happen. Um, and then like two days before, what happens? Well, a few days before, essentially, the university announced that it was going to start an an investigation to possible hate crimes involved with chalkings uh, and posters put up on campus uh, that were pro-Milo and uh, in support of his speaking at Cal. Unfortunately, this seemed to imply that they were specifically investigating the Berkeley Patriot. Members of the Berkeley Patriot feared for their uh, rights, feared for their safety in light of this investigation. Uh, they called it a witch hunt, and they uh, accordingly filed a DOJ complaint against the university, uh, to which Mr. Sessions responded, I believe, mm. uh, even though he didn't mention the university by name. I couldn't think of any other incident that would prompt the attorney general to go on Tucker Carlson and, and make the statements he made. Right. We just played his his uh, clips, too, by the way, because I know you weren't here to listen to that. Um, so that's fascinating. So so the university is now going after the students two days before the and threatening them with legal action and possible expulsion? Well, they haven't said what kind of threats uh, uh, or repercussions would occur, but they, they were, said they were going to treat this as a, a hate crime, chalkings as a hate crime. Ch- chalk- and when you say uh, chalkings, you're talking about somebody writes something on a wall with chalk? Is that right? Yes, uh, and, and chalking is a very common practice on campus. Um, there are many times I've walked on campus where uh, rather indecent uh, phrases against the president have been found, and no one's ever raised a concern. But the minute you play something that's pro-Bannon or pro-Milo on campus, uh, the university seems to think it's appropriate to respond uh, as if it's a hate crime. Um, so it's, I would say that this really intimidated the, the students in the Berkeley Patriot, and unfortunately they decided that uh, for their own uh, personal safety that they would uh, withdraw their support. Right. And that's and that's such a shame. And I know you obviously we just started our interview. We're already talking about the fact you cannot back down. Easy for me to say I'm not a student there. I'm not facing expulsion or some kind of witch hunt legal. Easy for me to say. But my experience based on life and having lived just a little bit longer than most of the people at the Berkeley uh, University is that you back down. You have now empowered your opponent because they've learned the administration and all these groups, whoever they've learned that if they do X, Y and Z, they will shut you down, uh, which is a shame. And that's, that's, that's one of my biggest problems with what happened. I mean, but and Milo came on campus anyways. Tell us what, so he shows up on campus, 
but but then what happens? Well, the Sprawl Plaza where he was uh, slated to speak was uh, barricaded off, and one entrance was set up with a metal detector, and about 50 people were allowed to trickle through over a few hours. And uh, I was stuck waiting outside with a bunch of rather angry protesters, and I wasn't able to even hear Milo speak. He didn't have any uh, amplified sound or equipment with him. And what is more, people began jumping over the barricades, and he had to evacuate himself for his own safety. So the event, in many ways, on that day was a wash uh, because, again, the police attempted to provide protection uh, and set down ground rules, but protesters saw fit to violate it. Again, I think free speech was crushed during free speech week, at least in that one incident. There were other events held on other days where I think things were a bit more successful. Okay, well, that, that brings me to another point, and that's the role of the police. Obviously, the role of the police back in your event in February, as far as I can tell, seemed non-existent. There were, vi- there were videos out there showing cops doing effectively nothing while people are getting their butts kicked. So give me your take that the role in the police of all this, what, what's, what's going on? What, what was different from February to this time? Well, what's very interesting is that in the past, when we have only had University of California police or City of Berkeley police, uh, Antifa has been allowed free reign, and many people have been injured, especially conservatives. But what we saw in this case, and also with uh, our Shapiro event, which happened a few weeks before, is that the police actually were allowed to do their job. They didn't stand down. They actually took the necessary steps to uh, detain or arrest people who were especially disruptive. For instance, on Tuesday, Yvette Falarca, the the leader of the violent Antifa group by any means necessary, was arrested for uh, assault or battery and resisting arrest. The police did their job. I think really that the handlers of the city police and the university University police, that is the administrators and uh, the Berkeley mayor, uh, simply are afraid to have the police use force. They know that if their police do anything that could be interpreted as an affront against the, the ultra-liberals here, that they have to deal with those constituents uh, for much longer than anyone else. They really do fear having their police keep order in this town because they don't want to face the political repercussions. And guess what the result is? Bloodied conservatives on the streets every time we want to have a rally. Right. Well, and you mentioned the Ben Shapiro event. Now, that, that event did happen. Didn't seem like there was a whole lot of disruption. It cost a half a million dollars in security. I don't know who paid that. The university pays that. Half a million dollars to have Ben Shapiro come out and speak. I mean, it looked like it looked like a war zone from what I could see. I mean, there's, you got snipers on rooftops. I mean, it was just, just crazy. But that, did, that event did happen. Yes, and I think you you can see the effects of uh, effective policing. Uh, When you separate the protesters from the counter-protesters, when you separate conservatives from liberals, you actually uh, keep everyone safe. This worked in Portland, where there were huge uh, counter-demonstrations and a lot of Antifa, and you saw what happened when police didn't keep groups separated, such as in Charlottesville. It was a bloodbath. So essentially the police uh, and the administrators and the university really have to learn that if you allow them to do their jobs, if you keep groups separated, then you won't have violence. What's more, if people get the message, the memo, that you can't go around beating people without repercussions, then you won't have to spend as much on police security in the future. So I think really it's a win-win situation for everyone when the police are allowed to do their job. Right. No, no, for sure. And... And I guess, you know, the question, of course, comes to mind. It seems like the effort to silence free speech is coming from left versus right. For example, are there lots of left wing speakers that come on Berkeley all the time? 
Well, uh, every day in every class. <laughs> every professor oh. here is a left-wing speaker. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And my heart goes out to you. I don't know how you can sit through this. I really don't know how you do it. So my question to you is when there are, not let's say in class, but when there are speakers that come that are left-leaning, do you go out and protest and raise hell to prevent them from speaking? Oh, absolutely not. I, no. I go into their, their speech. I think of some questions I want to ask them, and then I ask them those questions. I don't actually, I wouldn't even say that I don't mind people protesting. I think people have a right to protest. I think they should protest. I think it just brings more attention to the speech and makes everyone realize that um, this exchange of ideas is something worth coming out for. I just want people to know that they can't come out and attack us using bats, leaded pipes, knives, what have you. I think that's the main problem, not protesting, but violent protesting. So I think people really need to learn from the civil rights movement that peaceful protests actually did work. They changed public opinion and enacted real policy changes for the better. I think the far left and the alt left, if they actually learned from history, their own history, they would realize they're making a massive mistake and they're actually helping conservatives. No, I, I think you're right. And that, Chris, that begs, this seems like a stupid question, but I think it's a question that still needs to be asked. Why are they doing this? Well, I think they're doing it because they have been in control for decades. They have control of the media. They have control of the academia. They have control of pretty much every major cultural or intellectual institution. And they feel uh, existentially threatened by the rise of Donald Trump and nationalism or populism in this country. They have been using extremist rhetoric for decades and have gone unchallenged. And when they finally have a real challenge, they are acting on this extremist rhetoric. I have tried to tell faculty that the reason why their students are going out into the streets masked and committing property crimes and crimes against persons is because they have told their students that this is an evil country, that it's a country whose foundations need to be leveled in order to achieve true equality. They don't understand that their rhetoric has produced the situation we're in. If these people had been reasonable for the past two or three decades, we would not be in the situation we are in now. No, you're absolutely right. And look, and I think there's lots of ways to fight back. And I will say to the police departments all over this country, if you do not defend these people, they will defend themselves. And then it gets very, very messy. And nobody wants to see that happen. Nobody. And apparently there were some fights and altercations over this past week. And I guess some people on the left got hurt, some people on the right got hurt. Nobody wants to see that happen. But if the police do not do their job, it's like if your house is on fire and the fire department's not going to put it out, then the individual individual citizens, we've already saw this happen in Berkeley, will step up and they will defend themselves. To me, I think you have the, the, the kids, the, the students, the, the groups that you're affiliated with have a major lawsuit against the university. And I've seen that happen too, where students have actually sued universities and won. Well, where do you think this thing's going legally? Well, I believe we have our first hearing today, actually. Uh, so this lawsuit is continuing, the lawsuit the Berkeley College Republicans have against the university. But we're not the only lawsuit. Um, we have the DOJ complaints that were just filed by the Berkeley Patriot. And I do believe another individual who was pepper sprayed at the uh, February, February 1st Miley Yiannopoulos event is also suing the university, among others. So this university's problems will not go away. And I think it's very unfortunate that they're not learning their lesson. For instance, I saw in an email just yesterday sent out by the chancellor that the university is considering 
certain restrictions on, say, how much security fees can cost with regard to speakers and limiting how many speakers certain groups can invite. So in other words, the university is doubling down on its former policy of restricting free speech. All they're doing is providing more evidence for the lawsuits against them. I think if they were smart, if they were intelligent, if they were learning from uh, the mistakes they've made this past year, they would not be going in the direction they're headed. Well, yeah, and, and even I know you and I talked about this before, but there's the professor that actually beat the guy over the head with a bicycle lock, right? So what, 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 who is this guy? What, where's that thing going? Well, his name is Eric Clanton, and he was... Way, not to be uh, confused uh, with Eric Clampton, by the way, the musician. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm no, sorry. I don't think you can make much much music with bike locks. Um <laughs> No, uh, Eric Clanton, I believe he was. And he did not purchase a the bicycle lock for me either, by the way. I want everybody to know that. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Troy. No connection. No connection no. at all. Um, uh, yes, uh, Eric Clanton, I believe, was a former professor at the Diablo Valley College, Community College here in uh, Concord, in the, uh, just in the Bay Area. He was also, I believe, a professor at Berkeley City College or a uh, community college in Berkeley. Um, and this is unfortunate, but there's a troubling trend of uh, leftist professors being involved in violent sorts of activism. It's gotten to the point now where these people who are teaching your children uh, are going out and committing violent crimes against conservatives. For instance, look at uh, Yvette Falarka, who was just arrested uh, for violence a few days ago. She is a middle school teacher. In, oh, my God. Uh, She's a middle school Berkeley. teacher. Okay. Yeah, she is teaching the children of Berkeley while going out on paid leave to protest and to attack conservatives. And what, did, what was she arrested for? She was arrested for uh, probably uh, acts of violence against conservative uh, attendees of the of a rally we were having, and she was also resist, uh, arrested for resisting arrest. Nice. So she's on multiple counts. And she's teaching she kids. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's, and the, the ironic thing is that she was uh, arrested and put on bail months ago for uh, on charges of inciting a riot in Sacramento. <laughs> so... All these incidents of her committing violent acts have been caught on camera, and she's still allowed to walk free. She's still allowed to teach uh, America's youth, and I think it's quite a disgrace. No, you're right. Uh, we're just about out of time. Troy, you're an amazing guy. You're a brave guy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, keep fighting the good fight, my young brother. Thank you for having me on. All right. That just about wraps up our show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And by the way, one thing I do want to mention, please feel free to call the main event listener hotline. Let us know what you think about the show. That number is 855-640-2092. That's 855-640-2092. One more time, 855-640-2092. We will be back with all of you next week. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB Number 096199.